Now Paul's just about to speak to us. Last week we started a new series called Follow Me. And the little tagline is how to do what Jesus said. And I don't know if you noticed, but in the passage that I read right at the very beginning of the service, the passage from Acts chapter 10, this is what it says. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do what he says, the door is open. And it was particularly challenging last week when Paul spoke about Jesus's invitation to each one of us to follow him, to do the things that he says, to respond to his whisper. And today I just encourage all of us to be listening again, to see what it is specifically that he has for each one of us today, how he wants us to live his way and to practically follow him. So over to Paul. It's great to be with you again as we continue this series entitled Come Follow Me, How to Do What Jesus Told Us. Now, if you didn't see uh, notices during the week, um, uh, maybe go and grab some wine or this is Ribena and some bread because we'll be taking some time a little bit later on just to celebrate communion and so this is part of a series that we've been doing and if you happen to miss last week I really encourage you to listen to it not just because I happen to be speaking but because it really lays the the foundation for the rest of the series and last week I was talking about A story that we see a few times in the gospel where Jesus went to some people and he said, come and follow me. Follow the way that I do life. Follow the way that I seek to live my life. You know, the phrase I used was culture. Follow my culture, the way I do things around here, which is kind of like the rules, the principles, the values, the mindsets that kind of underpin the way that Jesus did life. And we're going to be taking some time to look at some of these values and some of these principles in the kind of coming weeks. And some of these principles, particularly the one I'm looking at today, is radical. It is so radical. And before jumping into some verses, I want to just remind us of kind of one of the other underpinnings as we seek to follow Jesus, as we seek to do the things that Jesus uh, instructed us to do. And there's this verse in John 14, verse 21, and it says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And then it carries on. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and share myself to them. And so as we begin to look at some of these commandments, some of these things that Jesus told us to do, it says the root there is that we love him. And in Greek, there's four words for love. There's storage which kind of means a little bit like empathy. There's philia, which means kind of friendship that we might have with somebody. There's eros, uh, which is kind of more kind of sexual love attraction. Then there's agape, which means unconditional, selfish love poured out on behalf of somebody else. And this is the word that's used here is like, we have this kind of selfless, poured out love upon God then we will keep his commandments. They're kind of intrinsically linked. There's going to love this intimacy and this obedience. So let's keep that in mind as we look at these kind of challenging, kind of radical commands, particularly today, but in coming weeks, 
that kind of underpin this kind of kingdom culture that Jesus is seeking to model and encouraging us to live out from. So starting from Matthew 5, verse 23 to 25. Therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, for your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. And a bit later on, again in Matthew chapter 5, now verses 44 to 47. But I tell you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not even tax collectors doing that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. In the next chapter, in Matthew chapter 6, here verse 14. And this is kind of the end of what we call the, the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught us that we should pray, like a, a model but also a kind of mindset and lifestyle. But if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive their sins. There's a story a bit later on, maybe um, Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, maybe had heard all these phrases and teachings of Jesus and maybe was just treeing over them. And I suspect that we'll be treeing over some of this stuff today and some of those commands ourselves. So he came to Jesus and this is what it says in Matthew 18, verses 21 to 22. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And then just to conclude, there's a few other verses I could look at. The story of when Jesus was on the cross and he was getting crucified. And we find this in Luke 23, verse 24. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So these are kind of radical verses. And Jesus didn't just kind of command us and urge us to do that. He didn't just say this was a, a, a value. This was a kind of kingdom of heaven principle. A way of doing life, a way of perceiving people. He kind of modeled it. He was going to show him that this is a doorway to allow the kingdom of God to kind of permeate and affect our lives as well as to kind of permeate and affect the lives of others. Like all good rabbis, which is a kind of principle if you missed last week's talk I was talking about, as a teacher he was modeling what he was going to do. Now it's easy to kind of read these verses in some ways, but incredibly challenging verses. Now, when I've been talking about this idea of Jesus saying that we should forgive others, you might be saying, well, you don't know my situation. You don't know my life. You don't know the people that have, you know, have dealt me and treated me wrong. And I don't. And I know some of the stories out there are horrific. But I think each one of us, to some level, knows what it's like to be hurt, to be grieved, to be disadvantaged, to be looked down upon. 
No one's story is the same. And certainly there are greater stories of injustice and suffering. But just to kind of give you a context, I do know a little bit. You know, I was born in a country, uh, the Republic of Colombia, where I was the wrong colour and the wrong religion. Whereas a lot of the people that I knew were widows because they had been killed for their faith. I have lived nearly 20 years of my life where I was a kind of the wrong nationality. A number of you know that I work for an organisation that goes and shares Jesus with Muslims. And every two years we kind of gather and celebrate what God has done amongst Muslims. But we also remember, because probably like two or three of my colleagues every year get killed. And that hurts. I always remember those times because I always cry as my children tell me I'm a crier. And I'm not ashamed to cry over things like that. I've also seen another way of looking at it. I've also seen the effects of hate. And the, uh, the effects of unforgiveness. Like I said, I lived in Colombia. I lived in a period of time that was called La Violencia. We don't need to know a lot of Spanish to guess what that means. It means the violence. People's different opinions on politics. People's different opinions on religion. I went and worked in Lebanon just after the Civil War, but you could see the effects of the Civil War. I've never seen a country that's so divided as Lebanon. Christian and Muslim, and then various Christian um, kind of denominations and Muslim denominations and just literally neighbourhoods. Whichever neighbourhood was in, you knew which Muslim or Christian denomination you were in. I've seen all the Palestinian refugees there in Lebanon. I've seen the effects of the Israeli bombings. I've seen the hate. I used to work with Hamas and Hezbollah. I've seen the effects of hate and unforgiveness as well as had aspects affect my life. But we need to take hold of these truths that Jesus said because they are radical and important. I was going to, not in some ways made aware of it, but challenged about it probably about a couple of months ago. One evening I was just talking Daniel into bed and he just asked me this question he said what's the most important thing that you have ever learned in your life and don't say Jesus what is the most important thing you have ever learned in your life and don't say Jesus wow what a question for a at that time it was a 13 year old to ask and I was like what do I say and it seemed like a great opportunity so like all good parents to buy time I said how would you answer that Daniel and he said, the most important thing that you can learn in life is to forgive. And I thought, wow, I'm not going to add to that, take away from that, or say anything else. And we just talked about it, some very similar things that we are talking about today. We need to learn what maybe Daniel has learned in theory. I know it, like me, like many of us, it's, it's a lot harder to put into practice. To forgive. Jesus modelled such a counter-cultural life. You see, this idea of unforgiveness, this idea of revenge, this idea of hate is seen as so natural. It's like this is a normal way that you will react. But we are called to live supernatural lives, not normal lives. And there's a real depth to this. You know, particularly the verse there in, in Matthew chapter 5 where it talks about love your enemies and, and to pray for them. These are deep challenges. In all those cases where it says forgive 
love and pray, they're all in the Greek imperative. So it's not like if you feel like it or if you're in a good mood. These are like, these are must-do things that indicate that you are following me, that you are a disciple of the Rabbi Jesus. That's radical. And in case you're wondering, the word there for love is the word agape. It's like, love your enemies with unconditional love. Just a love like Jesus had for us. It's a bit like what he, Jesus is saying, love them like you love me. And an indication of your love for me is how you love them. Wow. I mean, I could just stop there. What a challenge. And in some other verses in the Bible, and I wanted to keep to the Gospels, and in some of the letters of Paul in the New Testament, he talks about blessing them as well. Forgive, love, pray, bless. And that doesn't just mean say, oh, bless you, like a new, nice little saying. It means to rearrange your life in such a way that you will be a blessing to that people. And as we read from that story about Peter, when Peter asked Jesus, what does it look like to forgive? He already knew it meant to kind of, kind of love and to pray and to forgive and to bless to some extent. But he wanted to know whether there was a limit to it because in his understanding they used to say seven times and that was it. But Jesus said seven times seven and that doesn't mean you can add it up and keep a record of wrong so the Bible says don't do that. It means just keep doing it. Keep doing it. And as I was reflecting on these verses, I was thinking, well, there's a truth there that's not only taught, but obviously in Jesus modelled. But why? And I think there's two main reasons. Because there's power in forgiveness. There is such power in forgiveness for two reasons. Firstly, actually for us. It stops us becoming prisoners. It's the best way to live our lives. There's a story a bit later on, you know, I read a number of verses from Matthew 5 and verse 6. In Matthew 7, there's a well-known kind of kid's story. If you ever got brought up in church, you would have heard. And if you haven't heard, Jesus said, told the story of two builders. One, he came along and built on sand and he built it quickly. And then one, who kind of took the time and effort to build on rock. Then it said a storm came along and the house built on sand just collapsed. But the house built on rock stayed why because it was built on truth and forgiveness those who have not learned to forgive ultimately the lives will tumble in our church we have Mary and Claire that run this great uh, ministry called streams of hope and they just help people of any age just take time and just look at some of the pain and deal with some of the pain and the hurts and disappointments from the past. And I'm not an expert and they know a lot more than me. But I know that if one does not deal with unforgiveness, it will begin to affect your very foundations of life. You will not be building on rock. You know, and there's lots of kind of quotes out there, you know, and they're attributed to, to lots of different people. You know, for example, when I often hear quoted, Unforgiveness is like drinking a poison and waiting for the other person to die. You know, the heaviest thing you can carry is a grudge. And they're nice kind of sound bites, but there's truth in there. You see, one of the main reasons why we need to forgive is for ourselves, 
I know we become hard, we become bitter, we begin to build on sand. Secondly, when we forgive as followers of Jesus, and we can't do this without God, it's radical, it goes against the norm, it's countercultural. It ends up changing things. And I could go on about stories after stories. And I was thinking of a story of a guy that I shared before in church. We worked with in Ethiopia called Hagi. He was a Muslim and he encountered Jesus. And he went back to his village and he began to tell people about Jesus. And the mosque announced, you know, we don't agree with what this man is saying. And so some very devout Muslims, I can't remember, like five or six of them, came along and they killed him. And they buried him. And then they announced in the mosque, we killed this man. The one who was going to come in and proclaim about Jesus. Well, three days later, God raised him from the dead. The great thing was nobody prayed for him. God just raised him from the dead. And you know what he did? He went back into those villages and began to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And not all of them, but I think like three or four out of the people that killed him ended up following Jesus. He could have said, well, now I'm not going back to those villages, you know, but no, he forgave, and more than forgave, he went back and he shared Jesus. There isn't a power in love that just changes things. Now, I just shared a story, um, probably about well over a month ago, about a story that happened amongst what's called the Amish community, a particular community that still lives like it used to do 100, 200 years ago. You know, they don't have cars or any technology. And then on the 2nd of October 2006, a man came along into the, their school and, and shot 10 girls, and, and five of them died, really young girls. And this Amish community showed radical forgiveness because not only did they say verbally, we forgive the killer, but actually... A number of the Amish community went along to the killer's burial service just to be with this other family that was grieving this man who had done the, the deed. And they were aware that um, this man who has been the main uh, kind of money maker for the family was dead. And so they kind of paid and donated money to the killer's widows and her three children. That is radical forgiveness and it changed that family uh, another story because uh, I just love running and I love um, Second World War history those who know me and there's a guy called Louis um, Zapparini you can re um, read about it in a book called Unbroken there's actually a film called, uh, called Unbroken and he was a great runner um, he ran in the Berlin 1936 Olympics and he was expected to win a medal by the time the next Olympics came along because he was kind of an up-and-coming runner. Well, during the Second World War, he was shot down over the Pacific Ocean. He was stuck in, this, in the ocean for what was then a world record, 47 days. And um, unfortunately, his boat ended up on a Japanese-occupied island and he was put in Japanese prison. And because he was so well known because of his fame as a runner, they used him as a particular example to kind of humiliate and batter. And that created such anger in him. He wasn't a follower of Jesus at that time. And like many people, when he came back, he didn't know how to deal with that anger and brutality he had had at the hands of the Japanese. 
and for him he turned to drink as a way of dealing with his anger, dealing with his hate. Well, a few years later, a well-known evangelist who's now died called Billy Graham was preaching and told him about a radical love and a radical way of doing life. And Louis Zappoli, he said, yes, I will follow you, Jesus. And that radically changed his life. And he went back to Japan. And he specifically asked them, because of his prominence, he was allowed to go to the prison where all the main Japanese kind of generals and commanders were in trial. And he went back to all of them. Even the ones that had treated him the worst. And he said, I forgive you. I love you. That is radical. And I could probably tell you story after story of these things happening. And that is for me, for somebody who's traveled the world and worked with people that have very different belief systems to me. This is one thing I see that is totally radical. Some maybe say, forgive, and that's as far as they get. But the way that Jesus modeled and teaches was even more to love, to pray, to bless. Wow. So, what does that look like? Because you could go away going, oh my goodness. The first thing I'd say is ask God to search your heart. Often when I think about, when he starts talking about forgiveness, I remember, particularly a number of years ago, God began to speak to me about the need to forgive. In 2009, I burnt myself out and God finally slowed me down from my hectic life to begin to look back on my life and to reflect on various things that happened and hadn't happened. And God did many things, but one of the things he began to do then was began to open my eyes to where many people I, I had begun to, to hold a grievance or a frustration against. And God said, I don't want any of that. Like when that first passage we read, it says, I don't want you to come to a place of worship. I don't want you to kind of be there with your hands up going, God, you're amazing. And yet in your heart, have something against somebody else. And so God began to search my heart as I gave space and began to bring people's names to mind. So ask God to search your heart. Maybe even as I started this talk, somebody instantly came into your head. And they might be alive, they might even be dead, and that doesn't matter. I mean, it does for them, obviously, but in relation to dealing forgiveness. So firstly, ask God to search your heart. Then ask God to give you strength. Like I said earlier on, to forgive is not normal. It is supernatural. But God doesn't just tell us to do something, encourage us to do something, doesn't just model it. He gives us the strength to do it. Philippians 4 verse 13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. John 15, 5 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And when he says, I can do all things, that includes to forgive. So you might say, Paul, I can't forgive. You don't know what I've been through. And I said, no, I don't know what you've been through. But I do know that God has given us everything that we need to forgive. And we can do nothing without him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. I think sometimes we think, apart from him, I can't do miracles. Apart from him, I can't, you know, raise the dead or whatever that might be. But everything of life, and maybe even more so the situation and forgiveness. So ask God to give you strength. Even now, as I'm saying this, and this, maybe this person's name bouncing around your head, like, God help me. 
Berlin. That's why we're going to have communion. Is remember the cross. Uh, kind of verse that's not often used in communion is Colossians 3 verse 3. Be gentle and forbearing with one another. If one has a difference, a grievance or complaint. I'm reading from the what's called the Amplified Version. Be gentle and forbearing one another. If one has a difference, a grievance or complaint against another. Readily pardoning each other, even as God has freely forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And what is saying there, Paul in his letters to the church in Colossae is, we're to forgive from the basis, from the perspective of remembering the cross. Because it's at the cross that we encounter God's love in its foremost extent, his forgiveness. And so as you have the bread and as you have the wine, as the Bible says, while we were still sinners, while we were still in that place where we had done wrong and grievance against God, because however you want to think about sin, is when we have done something wrong against God. If anybody should have an issue, if anybody's been wronged or hurt more than anybody else in the whole of creation in the most horrific ways you know, his name is used in vain all the time he's mocked ridiculed even now sometimes let alone when he was physically there on earth that's what he did release forgiveness in our hearts John in his letter 1 John says we love because he first loved us this Communion that we have here is a demonstration of that love. So we just take the bread and the wine. I'm just going to pray for it. And just ponder this body that was broken and the blood that was poured out. So that we might be forgiven. So that we might have life so that we can forgive. So God remind us, I know sometimes Lord I take communion and I, I kind of know in my head what it means but I don't always slow down to get the true impact. That even if nobody else existed God because of the wrong I did towards you, that I have sinned, that I do need forgiveness. That you're willing to be broken and beaten and put to death in the most horrific way for me. And your blood law is poured out for me. That was love. That was forgiveness in a visible way. And I thank you for that. And again, I say sorry. And I receive your forgiveness, God. And as I receive you, God, through this communion, Lord, I just pray, let your life flow through me to help me forgive those who hurt me, that grieve me.
Let's just take a moment. So practically ask God to search your heart. Ask God to give you the strength. Take time to remember the cross and your forgiveness. And then give them over to God. And I don't say that glibly. And that might mean different things to them. It might mean giving them a phone call. It might mean them writing a letter in 2009. As I mentioned, there was a number of people that God drew to my attention. And some of them, I just wrote them a letter on a piece of paper and I never posted it. I just used it to process with God. Some of them I sent emails. Sometimes when I have a, a, a grievance or a hurt, some of you might be aware there's like a footbridge that kind of joins. There's two bits to St. Catherine's Hill. I think people forget that sometimes. It goes over the M3. And I sometimes go there. And I love it because I, I just go there and I just yell. I just get fiends off my, my chest and it's drowned out by the M3 noise. But however way you do it, give it over to God. And sometimes you need to maybe feel like you have to keep uh, doing it. And I'm not saying this clearly is a cost. I was reading a story recently, a well-known um, lady called Corinne Boone, and, um, and she was imprisoned with a, a number of members of her family um, for hiding Jews in the Second World War. And she was one day in Germany after the war speaking, and she, this is what she said. One day... I was preaching about forgiveness and I looked up and I saw in the congregation one of the very guards who had helped kill my sister. At the end of the service, this old concentration camp guard came up to me and he stood in front of me and his hand thrust out and he said, a fine message, Fraulein. Oh, she was Dutch. Uh, How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are forgiven. Now I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take his hand he would not remember me of course how could he remember me one prisoner amongst those thousands of women but i remembered him he then said you mentioned ravensbrook in your talk i was a guard there but since that time he went on i have become a christian i know that god has forgiven me for the cruel things that i have done but i want to hear it from your lips as well for all in Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? As I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven. I could not forgive. My sister had died in that place. Could he raise a slow, terrible death simply by asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But for me, it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. But I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives had a prior condition. We forgive those who have injured us. And Jesus said, if we don't forgive men their trespasses, 
Neither he will, will forgive us our trespasses. I knew that. So as I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. How I, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that. You supply the feeling. So woodenly, mechanically, this obviously in Connie's words, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing happened. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arms, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, I cry, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard, the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Wow, it's an amazing story, that, let alone her wider story if you ever read a book. Now, no one would begrudge Corinthian Boone for refusing to forgive, and yet she found a way. But like in the story, she had to do her bit, and then the God who can do all things, who can work in us, he can do his work in us. That doesn't make it necessarily easy. It doesn't mean suddenly it's all kind of sorted. As Corinthian Boone also said, she described this when I've often found this really helpful. Forgiveness is like letting go of a bell rope. You know, the bells, you know, when you're ringing the bells. As long as you keep pulling, the bells keep ringing. Forgiveness is letting go of the rope. It's just that simple. But when you do so, the bell keeps ringing. Momentum is still at work. However, if you keep your hands off the rope, the bell will begin to slow and eventually stop. And I found that really useful because as soon as I kind of written my letters, yelled on the bridge, and it's still there, it's still kind of ringing. But I found as long as I don't keep pulling it, as long as I just keep giving things over to God and not grabbing hold of that rope again, Slowly, the forgiveness and the pain begin to go. And lastly, as it says for them, pray for them and bless them. And again, that's not easy, but again, that is a command, an invitation. That is part of the kingdom of heaven. As much as we like to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This is as much part of it. As the miracles, as the signs, as people coming to Jesus, as revival and all these other things that we often cry out for. This is what heaven on earth also looks like. I'm just going to pray and I'm just going to just give some time for God just to come. Like I said, it's a challenging and difficult talk. It's a challenging and difficult command that God gave us. And I'm aware as I've been speaking, people, issues been coming to mind and I wanted just an opportunity to allow God just to come to give you space you know a ministry this time is kind of it's really between you and God you see I can't forgive on your behalf you can't forgive on my behalf so ministry this morning is just creating space between you and God to respond the other thing I want to do in this space is I believe that for some people they need to forgive themselves. 
as I was praying for it, this, and uh, to, to speak. I felt for some people this morning, you find it hard to forgive yourself. You've made choices and decisions that have affected you, that have affected others. Maybe you're the one that actually have grieved somebody. And so I just give you that kind of space and that time just to do that right now. We just welcome you, Holy Spirit, into this time. Lord, we want to do business. We want to be more free. We want to be more transformed. Open our eyes, Lord, to your incredible love, to your incredible power. But show us, Lord, who maybe we have offended, who maybe we have been offended by that you want us to deal with today. Lord, I pray for grace, pray for strength, pray for peace. closing prayer before handing back over to Joe or Nigel God we thank you for this moment and like Lord we know that like I talked about last week this invitation to come follow you it's not just a one off it's a day by day moment and part of that following you Lord is learning to forgive <clears throat> and so Lord help us Lord day by day moment by moment Lord as things come up May we learn to forgive quickly. And Lord, some of these bells that we've let go of, Lord, they're big bells. And they've been ringing, Lord, loud and clearly for many years. We just place those in your hands, Lord, and give us the strength not to grab hold of that rope and pull those bells again, I pray.